From the Jesuits of Canada and the United States, this is AMDG. I'm Mike Jordan-Lasky, and I have a special guest host along for the ride with me today, Meg Ann Leapsch, who works in our communications office at the Jesuit Conference covering social justice stuff. Meg, how's it going? Good. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm doing well, thanks. Yeah, well, a couple of weeks ago now, we had just this absolutely crazy conversation with John Darneal. John Darneal is the lead singer of the band The Mountain Goats, and just like a really prodigious, impressive leader in the, I don't know, what would you call it, indie folk rock world, lo-fi. So he kind of got his start recording directly into a boombox, plays guitar, he's made a lot of really great records, and uh, also someone who is really interested in spiritual matters. And uh, so we asked if he wanted to come on and talk about creativity and his music and spirituality, and he took us on a ride. It was an unbelievable conversation. Yeah, it was a great conversation. We talked about, you know, everything from the lack of performance during uh, during the pandemic and, and how he's missed that um, to his spirituality, um, to, you know, a poem recitation. Um, and I think one of the things that that really stood out to me about the, the interview and the conversation with him is just how very thoughtful he is. Um, and I think that's also something that, you know, for people who haven't necessarily listened to his music, um, but something that shines through is his real, I think, attention to, to detail and to storytelling, um, which I think makes him a really interesting person to talk to, too. Yeah, he it felt kind of like being in front of a fire hose. He just had so much to say and not like we knew him. He just jumped right in. There were no pleasantries. He just launched right into the conversation and had just a lot to say. And think about like even during the pandemic, he has released two studio albums plus a live album he was able to record with his band. He just has so much to give and so much to express. And uh, it was just a real pleasure to kind of sit back and and listen. You won't hear much of Meg and me on uh, this episode, but I I think it's a unique episode for us at AMDG. It was uh, really a a pleasure just to kind of listen to this uh, really amazing artist. So without any further ado, here is uh, our conversation with John Darneal of the Mountain Goats. What's happening, guys? Hi, how are you? I'm okay. Uh, My my schedule is not allowing me space to eat uh, lunch by myself, so I'm going to be eating while we talk. (laughs) Okay, very good. Thanks so much for uh, for joining us, uh, I, Mike and Meg. We work for the Jesuits in uh, in DC. Um, so you work for the Jesuits. You on what? Communications. So like their website, social media, all the stuff. Word. So we so we're not Jesuits. We work for the. Do you know anything about the Jesuits? Are you a Jesuit fan at all? Yeah, the Jesuits are the spiritual ones, man. The Je- Jesuits are everybody wants to be a Jesuit. <laughs> if you contemplate hard enough, you get to be a Jesuit. Well, the the spiritual tradition, you know, the, of the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius, right? That's kind of a yeah. kind of been used and brought, you know, used by other groups, certainly. Um, yeah, no, the, there's the indie rock fringe of the of the <laughs> <laughs> of, of service, right? So, so we the the Pope is Jesuit, which you know, first yeah. Jesuit Pope. Wow. Um, yeah, no, yeah that was surprising. Do you have like what are your what are your takes on um, on Pope Francis? So, I mean, he seems like a good pope, right? Um, but again, I'm not Catholic anymore. And, you know, and when you leave the church, which I didn't formally leave the church, you know, but, but when you do, 
sometime within the first 10 or 15 years, you begin to feel comfortable openly disagreeing. <laughs> and, so, and you no longer feel like, you know, like you're denying your better self when you do that. You know, and I, and I think he, he understands that, that market capitalism has been a catastrophe for this world, right? That's a radical position for a Pope to actually hold, even though we all know Jesus held that position. <laughs> we all know Jesus looked at money and said, whose picture is that? I don't have anything to do with this, you know, so, but, uh, but yeah, so he seems like a progressive, I mean, look, he's, he is, the church in Latin America has had to contend with the fallout from American colonialism and which is an ongoing project, but it never stopped. Um, and, uh, and, and the fallout of industrialization, right? You know, I mean, the effects that these have had on communities there uh, were massive. Now, in fairness, the effects of the missionary movement were also pretty massive on these communities, right? And, and decimating, right? We're, we're, we're literally catastrophic to many of these communities. But that's not what the church grows to become in these places. The church then becomes a place where people can seek uh, you know, uh, nurture, right? But now the people who don't have your best interests in mind are massive conglomerates, often U.S.-led conglomerates, who will come in and destroy your entire country for its resources, right? And and take a way of life that you've practiced for a long time and wreck it, uh, presumably in the, you know, so that you can have the nice life that we all have, right? Uh, working working 12 to 14 hour shifts and, <laughs> and worrying always about whether you're gonna make your payments. Um, the church, I think, has has done a beautiful thing in the past. Uh, the Latin American church in the past uh, thirty years to to sort of speak up for for these for these places. Not always. There's no. You can't. There's the problem with the church is you. The church presents itself as monolithic, but the church is plural, right? There's there's many visions of the church. Pope Francis's vision seems an inclusive one, as far as popes go, right? Uh, and I and I love that he is, is seems to be generally on the right side of things. You know, but I mean, I'm also, you know, I think everybody should be a priest, right? I think everybody, should, everybody who wants to serve should. Francis is closer to, to, to my radical thoughts there than any priest in my life, any pope in my lifetime, you know. I think those, you know, the, the politics of liberation that you're talking about, particularly in the Latin American church, or, you know, it's something that's so liberation theology is, is yeah. so powerful. Um, and I think, I think that kind of like model of really bringing yourself to the margins so that there are no margins anymore and, and walking with the marginalized is something that is so, um, so beautiful about, I think, like what Catholic social teaching and Catholic social justice movements can be, um, I think on that, I mean, shifting a little bit, but um, thinking about community and, and communal experience, live music is is so much a communal experience. Yes. I'm curious how you've navigated. Well, in, in, it's in the service, right? It's it's part of it's what we do. Yeah, none yeah, of exactly. us could, none of us here can sing on his wings without crying. So, so how how have you navigated the loss of kind of this this communal experience as as an artist during the pandemic? Oh, I mean, I don't go to church anymore. I haven't been in a long time. Uh, oh, you mean playing live? Oh, I just, it just sucks. It yes, just sucks. Yes, yes. It's, it is an absence, right? Um, honestly, um, there's an important word in theology uh, uh, across multiple religions, and that's separation, right? We exist in a state of separation now. Even when we're in communion, right, whether it's holy communion or, or personal communion, we are in a state of separation from God. We're not in the presence of God as we understand it to be when we 
sorry, I'm a very emotional God person. I get really up. Um, but we understand that there will be a point of genuine communion of presence, right? We're not in that now, right? God is in the world, but we are not in his presence, right? We come to be in his presence at mass, right? Or where we find him, right? Um, but for me, that presence is in music, right? It's in what I do, right? I mean, that's where uh, if I, you know, I am still a believer. And one reason I'm still a believer is because I feel the Holy Spirit moving when we play music together, right? Uh, and, you know, and I'm really lucky. I'm really blessed that that's in my life. Three months out of the year, I'm doing that all the time to the point where we take it for granted. You know, it's like, it's something I get to do. It's what I do, right? It takes a piece out of me. It, it also, it's a, it's, a, it's a giving, you know, it, it's wrecked my body and mentally, I probably would be a fairly mentally healthy person if I didn't live on tour, maybe, now I have been off tour for a long time. I'm still kind of, up. <laughs> but, uh, but the thing is, I mean, like, you know, it diminished it, 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 your ability to relate uh, to the normal world decreases as you practice playing live music as a thing. Like it, it makes a different person of you. I imagine in a similar way that the priesthood does, right? Like I, I, I remember I knew a priest very well when I worked um, at Metropolitan State Hospital and it, you could see the anguish on his face when patients with religious delusions would fall on their faces when he, when he, he came onto the unit and he'd be like, that's not what this is about. <laughs> you know, like, and, and we'd have to, to meet the, where, where they were at, you know, in that way, your service sort of scars you. But, but for me being off stage, that's worse. It's like, it's, a, that is what I do. It's who I am, you know, like the, 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 the better and the worst parts of your, of your service constitute who you are right and uh and all of them went away a year ago right the band has played together four times and when we do now it's like it just feels like the greatest thing in the world it's like because we normally just do it all the time so it's a, it's a clock thing you put out a couple of records during the the pandemic and thinking of your, your songwriting process and how you think of that as is that a spiritual process for you do you, you see that as kind of like co-creating with god in any way like how do you approach that you know, I've thought of it in performance. Absolutely. You sort of feel like, like there, there's, there's a deeply God element to like, I can't do this. Th this isn't coming out of me. I mean, I make it, I take credit for it. Like it's, they're my ideas and they're my words, but, but getting it done. I mean, that's inspiration, right? Inspiratus. It was breathed into you. That's where that, that's the actual etymology of the word inspiration is that God breathed it into you. Right. And, uh, 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 and we say that scripture is inspired by God, right? Meaning God breathed it into being, right? And well, my stuff, I'm not, I don't want to say that God is speaking through me when I write, because it's the height of arrogance. But, uh, but I don't think I'm able to do it without, uh, without feeling like I'm locked in, you know, to an energy that comes from you know, from before time for something, you know, or, or, or not from before time, from the exact moment that time comes into being <laughs> so that, you know, when, because that's when language is born also. And, and what I do is language. And so, uh, but, but yeah, I mean, I, 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 I have always felt that sort of connection, but I also don't ever want to be saying, Oh, you yeah, know, God, this is just God speaking through me. No, it's me. It's, I, I take the, the credit and the blame. <laughs> and so, uh, but I do actually try, you know, uh, in my life, when I'm just saying, you know, well, look, if I, if you got anything good from me, you can thank God for that. And if you got anything bad from me, that's my fault. So, 
So you, you have a, a record from a, you know, a dozen years ago that kind of each song inspired by uh, yeah. you know, connected to a verse from scripture. I'm just curious if there are any scripture passages you found yourself gravitating toward over the past you know, handful of months. I, mean, I don't believe in favorites of anything because, you know, especially someone as giant as the Bible. What do you mean favorite book? <laughs> it's like there's, they, they're, they're, all, they're all different books, you know, it's like, uh, but, but I do like the stories and, and, and Jonah, I like the stories that have weird stuff in them. Because we know, and I love, there's one thing I loved about being Catholic is we can talk honestly in the Catholic church about, oh, this looks like a piece of an older myth that the author grafted onto the story he was trying to tell. Whereas if you believe the whole thing was just divinely spoken by God, you can't say that, right? Even though you know very well that like when there's, you know, four different endings to the gospels, that's because these are different strains that are passing through, right? And when you have the stories in the Old Testament, a lot of them are like versions of, of Babylonian stories that had survived that were so important to people then they needed a version of that story. Well, for Jonah, I don't know what the sources are for Jonah, but, uh, but my favorite uh, verse, for actually for a lot of my life, my favorite verse is the last verse of Jonah. Do you, do you know it? No. So uh, the second time I've told the story today, but I never get tired of it. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and, and, and uh, you know how when they excuse the, the kids to go off to children's service, right? That's the version of the, 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 the stories I usually give is the more conversational style. So here's, here's what happens in Jonah. A prophet of God goes into uh, Nineveh. He's been told by God, go tell the king, I, I, I saw how wicked the city is. God says, I'm going to destroy it. Go tell them to either repent or I'm going to destroy it. Jonah is a prophet. Well, imagine how you feel as a prophet. As a prophet, you love being a prophet. You get to talk to God all the time. He tells you what to do. How much more privileged can you possibly be? That is the absolute, there is no higher, right? Until, unless you're God's own son, which we don't have yet at this point, right? We have just, that's as good as it gets, right? God spoke directly to me. Imagine how much power you'd feel like you have all the time. I bet a lot of prophets aren't very humble. We know from their writings, Isaiah is not a humble man. Right? And so, uh, and neither is Jonah. And Jonah goes to Nineveh and he says, hey, repent or God will destroy you, right? Imagine if you could actually say that to somebody, try and put yourself in that mindset. Like, I'm going to tell this guy to repent or the God who talked to me this morning will kill him, right? I mean, just the, impossible to not be arrogant in that. You have to spend all your prayerful day going, please let me carry this gracefully. That's not what Jonah does. So the king of Nineveh hears this and goes, oh my God. We're sinners. I have to repent. I have to repent. He tears his shirt open, dumps ashes on his head, and orders repentance among the people of Nineveh. And Jonah says, no, God's going to destroy you, he says to himself. you know. And he goes away feeling like he looks foolish, like God made him look like an idiot. God's not going to destroy him at all. right? Not, God's not going to do anything. In fact, maybe, maybe it made the whole thing. Who knows? So his faith suffers, right? And he, and he runs away. He's like, he, he runs to, to the, the ocean and he gets on a ship. He just goes sailing. Everybody's experienced this. My life has gone to pieces. I'm just gonna get in the car and drive, right? Well, John gets on a ship. God rocks the waves. The sailors throw dice to see, uh, to see whose fault it is. And the dice point to Jonah, right? This is an instance, instance by the way, of, 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 of divination in scripture that seems to actually have been signed off on by God, which presents problems for often the way we talk about the other prophets talk about divinations. Well, God was speaking through the portents here, quite obviously, right? Through lots, they cast lots, right? So they throw Jonah over the board and Jonah, of course, but the Lord had appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. That's my second favorite verse, right? Um, and, and the fish eats Jonah. How long does he stay in the belly of the fish? 
three nights, right? And then we're going to hear this story again later, right? <laughs> so, uh, so then the fish vomits him up on dry land, right? And he, so I think when we're kids hearing the story, we imagine that what we're hearing is like, oh, then, then you're just lying on the beach. No, he's covered in digestive juices, right? And other fish who were in there before him, right? It's nasty, right? Somehow he survived in there for three days. And we're going to take the story on its face. I mean, it's a parable, but, but we, got to, we got to look at it physically, right? That he stinks. It's terrible. He had this experience of being a prophet of God, right? Who went into the great city, right? Where all so many things went on in the city, right? And instead of doing those, preached God's word, but everybody repented. I didn't get my glory, right? I went out. I got thrown into the ocean, eaten by a fish. Fish vomits me up. Now I think I'm lying on the beach like any other prophet who nobody listens to, right? And then God, in the most amazing passage in the whole Bible, God causes a plant to grow over Jonah's head, right? And it gives him shade. And he feels a little better, a little better, right? At least I have this plant. And then God touches the plant and it withers. This happens three times, right? And after the third time, Jonah says what many of us have been saying every day for at least six months. Can I just die? Can I just die, right? Okay, I've had enough of this and I want to die, right? Let me die, he yells. And God says, you would have me pity the plant which grew in a night and withered in a night. And should I not pity also Nineveh, that great city in which are more than fourscore thousand people who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. That's my favorite verse of the Bible because God remembers the cows, right? God concludes by saying, you know, there's all these people, they're so stupid that they have to be told by some guy who's wandering the wilderness eating locusts of wild honey, you know, to live right, they're just dumb as, as nails, right? Like all my children are. And, uh, and so they need this. And you don't want me to pity them for your own selfish sake. And there's also a bunch of innocent animals in this town who would die. I love that God says this. I love that our God says, think about the cows, you know, because I actually, when I left the church, I was a Hare Krishna for a while. And, in, and you explicitly worship cows in the Vaisnava tradition. And I think, I mean, that's beautiful because the, the worship of a mother figure and obviously in in the catholic church we have mary you know but but i think it's an important energy to keep in your worship right i think i think the there's a big thing in in radical right when catholic stuff just be focusing constantly on father god and, and the marianism then becomes idolatry then if you're just sort of praying to mary but having god as a strictly masculine energy that you know i think it's i think it's idolatry <laughs> thanks for that good word yeah <laughs> sorry it takes me I, once i get into it i get pretty excited <laughs> I think, you know, like a holding on, on to this idea of, of like, who are the undertold stories or, or, you know, underappreciated kind of characters. Um, You know, as a, as a lyricist, you often write about people who are on the margins, people who are experiencing violence or perpetrating violence. So what draws you to, to tell their stories? Um, That sort of always from childhood has been my thing, right. That I feel bad for the person in the story who gets hurt, right? Um, no matter what they're, you know, when, when somebody, when the villain gets his just desserts in a, in a fable, I could never not think about, like, well, that sucked for him. <laughs> like, you know, I mean, really like, the, like for, the, for the villain, you know, when, if you are the villain, when your end comes, when you get rewarded, you don't say, well, I'm getting what I deserve. You say, you know, I was a child once. I wasn't always this way, you know? Uh, and uh, and so so yeah I mean that I mean I would 
I attribute some to my father and mother. I think my father and mother gave me a sense of that. And so did my stepfather, a complex figure in my life. But he, you know, he always, uh, uh, in theory, was for the uh, for the person with less. You know, he was he was communist, and uh, and he was always talking about how the workers deserved to you know, to get a fair shake. He was a very pro union guy, right? And uh, and he had he talked a very good game on fairness. I'm a words person. I absorb the words and the actions may touch me, but it's the, it's the, it's the words that, 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 that I carry, you know? And so, uh, and so, so there's all that. I mean, I, I, you know, the question of whether we have an essential nature is obviously a very deep spiritual question, but I think this is how God made me. You know, I really have always thought it's like, I am a person who, when I hear a story of, you know, of, of, of somebody who got left out of the story, then my eye goes there. My eye just naturally doesn't want to talk about the hero or the villain, but there's a poem uh, uh, by Auden um, uh, about suffering. They were never wrong. Do you know this one? Yes. You, right. The, the old master. Fall of Icarus. Yeah. The Icarus fall in the Icarus. corner. Yeah. And, and Icarus is the hero of the story of the fall of Icarus, but in the painting, he's off in the corner and right. everybody else is going about their lives. And this is a really deep poem because there is no center to that painting. Right? And that's the reality. We're all the protagonists of our own story. But the lesson of Jesus's ministry is that even if you're at the center of creation, take yourself out of the center. You're not, there is no center, right? We're all in this together. We're actually a plurality. And, uh, and so that, I mean, that's like, that's been an impulse of mine. It's one reason I'm the mountain goats. I don't want people talking about John Darnielle. I don't want people thinking John Darnielle thinks he's special. He's not. Right. I'm as good as my band. I might write some cool songs. I will defend my own work. I think when I'm good, I do good stuff, but, uh, but I'm not who's special, right. That the work is special. Maybe if it's good, you know, and, uh, and that's, that's just been a, an impulse of mine for as long as I've been alive. Well, John Darniel or Mr. Mountain Goats, I guess, or Mountain Goats, the Mountain Goats. Thank you so much for taking the time to, to chat with us in the midst of your, your schedule. And thank you for your, your music and for your words and your uh, reflection today. It was a great conversation. Yeah, I'm really sorry that my nature is just to yammer so much because you all seem very interesting. And I would like to hear what you are, or the few words you managed to get at Edgewise seem very good to me. <laughs> but once I get going, I'm a gale force, you know. Well, we'll see you on tour sometime. Uh, and um then we'll, we'll talk. We'll catch up then. I think fall at the latest, man. This vaccine is happening. I'm pretty excited. I know. It's great. All, All right. right. Be well. Stay safe. Thank you. You too. Thank right. you so much. Of course. Bye-bye. AMDG is a production of the Jesuit Conference of Canada and the United States. And when we're not working from home, the show is recorded at our headquarters in Washington, D.C. AMDG is edited by Marcus Bleach, and our theme music is by Kevin Lasky. The Jesuit Conference communications team is Marcus Bleach, Eric Clayton, Megan Leapsch, Becky Sindelar, and me. Connect with the Jesuits online at jesuits.org, on Twitter at Jesuit News, Instagram at WeAreTheJesuits, and facebook.com slash Jesuits. Sign up for weekly email reflections by visiting jesuits.org slash weekly. If you or someone you know might be called to discern a vocation to the Jesuits, connect with the Jesuit vocation promoter at beajesuit.org. Drop us an email with questions or comments at media at jesuits.org. 
You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as St. Ignatius of Loyola may or may not have said, go and set the world on fire.